And of course, because it's a new year, I really want to speak uh, th- uh, this weekend about a biblical approach to a new year. Because New Year's just has got so many familiar connotations that comes with it. New Year's resolutions, amen. A fresh start, a renewed hope for a better year ahead, especially if last year has been a very difficult one for you, right? I mean, we have all these things that we do, there's these feelings that we associate with the new year. And in the church, is no different. Every time there is a new year, it also marks a series of declarations about how the year ahead is going to be like. How many times have we heard that the new year is going to be a year of breakthrough, a year of supernatural miracles, a year of intercession, a year of provision, a year of restoration, and the list goes on and on and on, you know, and um, sometimes you just don't quite know, wow, you know, so many different types of year, types of year in one year, you know, what is it really going to be like? You know, this is somewhat funny, I recall in the year 2020, I was sitting down with the team and we're talking about what the year is going to be like in 2020. And we said, hey, 2020, that's such a nice uh, number, right? So let's call it a year of vision, of 2020 vision, okay? Of course, we didn't realize pandemic was going to come. And so in spite of 2020 vision, we saw nothing at all that, you know, that caused us to see that the pandemic was going to shut us all down for the next uh, couple of years. Now, you know, and, and the thing is this, my intention is not to ridicule or to make fun But honestly, year after year, we hear these declarations of how the year is going to be and who can blame Christians for being disillusioned and becoming skeptical about another announcement of what the year is going to be like. I mean, 20 over years, I've been in full-time ministry and I want to tell you every year, I read countless um, prophetic bulletins declaring what the year is going to be like and truth be told, the misses have far outnumbered the hits. You know, and over, you know, there are about two billion Christians around on this planet, and you know, surely not one single prophetic declaration is going to apply for the whole of these two billion people, isn't it? Amen. So I want to say this: God really does speak. We serve a God who speaks, and God can choose to show us what lies ahead. But as a church globally, I want to say this: God is saying uh, we we are saying a lot more than what God is actually saying. We're putting a lot of words into God's mouth and attributing it to Him when He's really, really not saying anything. So I want to start this year by telling you what I think this year is going to be like. (laughs) Honestly, I can't tell you anything, okay? (laughs) I can't give you with any sense of detailed accuracy about what 2023 is going to be like. I pray, Lord, what's the year going to be like? Surprise! (laughs) And I don't intend to give you what this year is going to be like, okay? But I can guarantee you this, 2023 is going to be difficult. You will see some failures in your life, but guess what? You also see some success. You'll see some breakthroughs in things that you've been hoping and praying for, and you're going to see those breakthroughs. But there's some things that you've been praying for, you're going to get disappointed because the breakthrough is not going to come this year. You know, guess what? This is exactly what happened in 2022, 2021, 2020, 2019, 2018. My brothers and my sisters, this is life. Hello? And this is, the way life, this is the way of life, the nature of life in which God has appointed and created for us. Come on, think about this. I've been a Christian 30 over years. Every year it is like that. So does it mean that New Year shouldn't carry any form of significance? Do we just carry on into 2023 the same as 2022? Should we, just, should we even bother asking God and say, Lord, what should we expect in this New Year? You know, 
I want us, having said all this, I want us not to forget the scriptural exhortation that we are not to despise prophecy. Come on. I'm not asking you to despise prophecy. We got to take it seriously every time a prophetic word is given. But hey, we cannot be so blind as to accept every prophetic word that comes. The Bible says, judge prophecy. Amen. Judge it against the word of God. Don't just be, you don't just seek to be tickled by these prophetic words. You know, there's something about the human nature that wants to peek into the future. And maybe God doesn't want you to peek into the future. Maybe God wants you to walk day by day and trust Him. Amen. But what I hope to do this weekend as we begin this new year is to examine the Word of God and what the Bible instructs us regarding how to enter a new year. I hope to reframe the way in which we look into certain things because the, the, the world, the world's perspective has seeped into us so much that we have forgotten actually how the Bible teaches us to live, you know, when it comes to a new year. And I hope to bring us to a place where we are much more in synchrony with God's prescribed way of life. Do you know that God has a prescribed way of life, a rule of life that He has given to us in the Word of God? I hope to help us see the continuity of one year to the next and not just about the start of a new year and poo, you know, we cast aside everything that's happened in the past and then we just hope for something brand new to come along. You know, I hope for us to learn how to live with consistency instead of living uh, as though life is some kind of a lottery draw for what comes next. I hope this year is going to be good, tolong, 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 you know? Please, that's not how God wants us to live. So I want to talk about a couple of things. The first thing I want to talk about is how to frame time. How does God frame time. You see, one of the first things that happens in creation in the book of Genesis is that, the, that God quantified time into periods. He created a day and a night and He framed time into 24 hours. Some people are in discussion as to those six days of creation, were they 24-hour days? Hey, in my opinion, it is a 24-hour day because it talks about the sun and the moon, the day and the night. And guess what? One day is 24 hours because it's the amount of time taken for the earth to make a full revolution on its axis. You know, many of you have kids starting primary school or secondary school. This is Science Lesson 101, okay? Genesis chapter 1, verse 5 says, God called the light day. He called the darkness, and the darkness He called night. And there was evening, there was morning, the first day. That's the first period of time that God quantified for us. The second framing of time is the week. God took six days to create the world, and on the seventh day, He rested. And this constitutes a single week of seven days. The diagrams will show you what it is. Now, note here, the framing of months and years can be assumed because as soon as God hung the sun and the moon in the, in, in, you know, in the sky and put them into motion, immediately you have months and you have years, right? What is a month? A month is the amount of time taken for the moon to make a full orbit around the earth, right? Any science teachers here that want to correct me? I think I'm correct, okay? And a year is how long it takes for the earth to make an orbit around the sun. Hello. Simple science, okay? And, and this is what it is. But what is important for us to note is that the scriptural narrative only speaks about the day and the week, and it doesn't make mention of the month of the year in the, con in, you know, in the, in the narrative about uh, creation. Now, this is because the mention is relevant to convey certain kind of instruction that God wants to give to us concerning how we frame time. The instruction is simply this, that each day has its work. Every day God did something and what His work is done in that day is given to us. And the work is to, to be divided over six days while on the seventh day He rested. 
right? Now, this, in other words, forms the most basic construct of time that God has given to us humankind, right? Uh, just as in creation of, uh, just as uh, the creation of the planet, its atmospheric system, its geology and its ecology are reduced into its most basic and broad elements in the creation account, so is time likewise distilled to its most basic unit and that is the day and the week, okay? That's a mouthful. I'm going to rephrase this. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 to verse 25, basically describes for us how God set into motion and put into place the planetary systems, the sun, the moon, is that right? The stars. Then He separated the waters, you know, to create the heavens. That is our atmospheric system. He separated the oceans and the land. That's our geology. And then He goes on to create life form, which is our ecology. Now, these systems, if you really understand them, is highly complicated and diverse. There are literally billions of species of animals. And yet, you know, and, and, and at the same time, it's evidenced by intelligent design about how all these systems work together. Nonetheless, the Genesis account is broad and general. It doesn't give you all the details of how these things work. Amen? It doesn't go into the intricacies of how every system works. At the same time, God separated out time. So in the same way God talks about creation, God also talks about time and He distills time into simply days and weeks. Having said all that, as an introduction to the framing of time, what is our application? How does this affect us? I want to give us two applications. Number one, focus on each day and week. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 34, He says, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. You see, one of the first things that we need to learn is that we need to learn to live each day and give focus to each day. Don't overplan. Don't anticipate too far ahead. Now, when you think about this in practical life, we need to weigh this out a little bit, okay? Um, if you work in the marketplace, if you're a teacher or if you're at home, you've got to know that you do need to plan ahead, right? Uh, for me personally, I sat down before the year started. I planned some of the major things that are going to happen uh, for, you know, in terms of the events that's there for the church. I planned ahead one year. Okay, so that's not what I'm talking about. But what is, what is important for us is that we need to learn to focus on every single day that God has given to us. Amen? Here's a piece of advice. If you look and, at everything that you need to do and then you're overwhelmed by it and you're stressed about it, and then what you need to do is you need to pause. You need to narrow your focus, reduce it and, you know, your, your schedule and arrow into today and arrow into this week. Narrow your point of concern and focus to what needs to be done today. I promise you this will greatly help you and you will accomplish more uh, than you can imagine. Amen? Now, here's something else. There are some goals that are easier to achieve if you consider them in terms of days and weeks. Let me give you an example. We've got hashtag 365, which is our annual Bible reading program, right? 365 days, read through your Bible, and so on and so forth, right? Now, some of these things, some of, uh, some of you might look at this and you might think, hey, this is pretty daunting, right? And I know a lot of people, you know, they start the Bible reading plan, but the third week, they begin to fall behind. And if you use the U version to take it off, then they'll tell you, it'll actually tell you, are you ahead or behind? You know, by the second month, some people, you're 20 days behind. Now, when you look at that, it's very discouraging, isn't it? And then what do you do? Oh, yeah, give up. Next year, I start again. Hashtag 365. So you end up, every year, you only read Genesis. <laughs> because that's as far as you go before you give up. 
right? Now, if that is you, no shame, okay? No shame because your neighbor sitting around you all like that as well, okay? <laughs> but if that's you, I want to ask you, reduce your focus. Think about it. Think about what you want to read every day. If you set a simpler goal of thinking, hey, every week, I'm going to finish one book in the Bible. That's going to be a lot more achievable, amen? If you think about this, there are some books in the Bible you shouldn't take one week to finish. The book of Jude should not take you one week to finish. That's only one chapter. But you have 52 weeks in a year, 66 books in the Bible. There are a couple of books that are really, really short. If you focus on just finishing one or two or three books in a week, you will finish the Word of God in one year. Right? And I'm telling you, focusing on the day and on the week is a lot easier than just focusing on the whole year. So I want to encourage you to do that. Right? And don't let the, the, the tracking system discourage you and put you down because don't think about it here. God has framed the day and the week. Now, the second application for us is that different things require different time cycles. There are some things that, only must be, that must only be considered on a daily basis or a weekly basis, and they should not be looked at from an annual basis. When it comes to our personal dis disciplines, it always, or when it comes to building up the relationships that are in your life, always consider each day and each week. Now, do you start the year and saying, you know, guess what? This year, I'm going to pray more. You know what? I'm going to clock 300 hours of prayer in the year 2023. If you do that, you are going to fail. Because how do you distribute 300 hours over 365? I don't know. But... Prayer is not meant to be looked at annually. Prayer is meant to be looked at every day. If you say to yourself, you know what, every day I'm going to spend 15 minutes quality time just with the Lord, right? And that's a great starting point to do. That's something wonderful. You know, I, I, I want to I say this. When it comes to, you know, your marriage, for example, you shouldn't be considering what you're going to do in your marriage on an annual basis, Right? If all you think about is that, you know what, you know, I'm going to plan two holidays with my spouse and those two holidays, I'm going to spend real quality time with him or with her. You are in trouble in your marriage. Means the whole year you need to talk to your spouse twice. Huh? <laughs> You're in deep trouble. Right? You should make something, you know, when it comes to your relationship, these kind of relationships, you should think of it on a daily basis. You know, every day, I'm going to take some time to talk to my spouse, to talk to my children, right? And that's, uh, that's hugely important, amen? Now, when you, what, what you do, um, you know, each day, you know, with God, you know, through your prayer, through your Bible reading, evangelism, these are far more important than the one momentous encounter that you're hoping for that will zap you and change your life. Can I tell you this? The things that zap you in the moment, they don't change your life. You need to come to the altar call and have an encounter with God. But I tell you this, when you get off the floor and you go back home, let me tell you, the real change happens the next day. That's the conviction that comes from your encounter with God causes some kind of a lifestyle change. You're still going to have to read your Bible every day. You still got to pray every day. You still got to step out and evangelize. What's the point of coming to the altar area, being zapped by God, seeing a vision of the lost and they're going to hell and then walk out and the next day never open your mouth to preach the gospel? There's, there must still be an outworking. The encounter is merely the catalyst. The life change happens when you begin to commit to do something every day. You know, the most important things in your life requires a daily, weekly focus and not an annual focus. 
You can have an annual focus for your holidays, okay? That's not so important. But the things that are important, your health, your spirituality, your relationships, your work, those things require a daily, weekly focus. Amen? And as we begin the new year, let me tell you the truth about New Year's resolution. Do you know that 97 of New Year's resolutions fail? So all those New Year resolutions that you make most likely will fail. Why? Is it because it's bad to have New Year's resolution? I don't think so. I have New Year's resolutions as well. But I think that the problem is that we have gotten a time cycle wrong. Some of the things that we're looking annually should not be looked at annually. We should look at them daily, weekly. We should not be constrained by a calendar year. And you know, because if you begin to look at something on a daily basis, guess what? If you fail this week, Next week, you can do it again. If you fail today, guess what? Tomorrow is a brand new day. But if you only look at things annually and you fail, what do you do? I wait, I wait until next year, you know. As of today, next year is still 360 days away. Amen. So if if you're struggling, if you you say, Lord, this year, I'm going to overcome some weakness in my life. Don't think about it annually. Think about it daily. Today, if you fail, and you stumble, you know what? Pick yourself up as God and says, Lord, I'm so sorry. I failed in this. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Tomorrow, I'm going to try again. Amen. I'm going to go at it again. I was just listening to James Clear this week, you know, uh, who wrote the book Atomic Habits. And he says this. He exercises almost every day. Uh, 45 minutes is his regimen. And he says, the best days are not when I'm able to complete 45 minutes of exercise. He says, the best days are those days where it's so packed and I don't have time to do 45-minute session, but still I squeeze 10 minutes in just to make sure at least I've done those 10 minutes. The best days you have done is not about the two hours you spend praying and spending time with God. The best days are when you're so packed, the kids are giving trouble, your office is having problems, and your schedule is messed up, and still you come aside and spend 10 minutes with God and says, Lord, this is a tough day, but I still want to stay connected with you. I think that that impresses God a lot more. Amen? And so I want to encourage you to think about these cycles in a fresh way. The most important things in your life should not be constrained by an annual cycle. It should be looked at from a daily and a weekly cycle. Now, the next aspect of a new year I want to examine is the Jewish New Year's. Now, again, I want to look at this from a Jewish perspective. Why? Because our scriptures is 100% Jewish. The writers are Jewish, except for, is Luke Jewish? Okay, you'll find out. Just go in the 10 and you'll find out, okay? But the context, everything is Jewish. Amen? And, and it's important, therefore, for us to understand some of these things from a Jewish context. The calendar that the Scriptures follow is not Gregorian, and New Year is definitely not the 1st of January. But, in fact, Israel has four New Year's. So I'm going to give you this. Again, I did all the studies. I, I put this into a table so that you don't have to do it. And so you can just, you know, download the slides and go back and take a look at it. The first New Year, which is the primary New Year of uh, Israel, is on, happens on the 1st of Tishrael. This year, it will be 16 to 17 September 2023. Commonly known as Rosh Hashanah, which in actual fact is the Feast of Trumpets in the Old Testament. It's the primary new year in the civic calendar of Israel. It means the head of the year considered the anniversary of creation. Sabbatical jubilee years are calculated from there and then the annual tithe of crops is figured from this day. Okay? The second new year is 
15th of Shabbat, which is 6th February 2023 this year. It's called the New Year of Trees. This is where they calculate the tithe of fruits from the fruit trees. And then the 1st of Nisan, which is 6th to 12th of uh, April 2023. And that's the Passover that we're familiar with. It commemorates the exodus of Israel from Egypt. It's the beginning of months for Israel. Rents are figured from this day and vows are to be kept by this day. Okay? Uh, and then there's, there's the 1st of Elud, which is going to be 18th of August 2023 this year. And it is a year, it's the new year for animals. And that's where the cattle and your livestock are figured uh, in terms of how, uh, when they're going to be tithed. Now, one thing you'll notice, okay, is that because Israel of old is primarily agrarian, these new years had a lot to do with the harvest period. Okay, it's got all to do with livestock and, you know, and crops and fruits. And accordingly, the payment of tithes are going to be figured through these four new years, okay? So in other words, the new years had a lot to do with paying up what is due to God. Very different from our perception of New Year, okay? Now, here's a few thoughts you need to consider. The first thought has to do with fruitfulness, okay? Fruitfulness is measured annually. In other words, every time you celebrate a New Year, the thing that we need to examine is we need to examine the results of the previous year, our labours, and take stock of how fruitful we have been in the prior year. Are our lives producing fruits? Are our lives being fruitful? And a new year is a celebration of the fruitfulness from the last year. It's a harvest. It's a celebration of the harvest and the fruitfulness. Amen? Have you ever encountered the parable of the unfruitful uh, fig for, where for three years the master comes and there's no fruit on the tree and the servant says to the Lord, give me one more year. Give me one more year to work on this tree and within this year it has to produce fruit or if not, it will be chopped down. You see, there is a distinct measurement of fruits when it comes to the annual uh, look of what a new year is like. Therefore, as we consider a new year, it's important for us to review in our lives. Is there fruitfulness? And if there isn't, what do we need to do this year to make sure there is fruitfulness in our lives? What is the kind of fruitfulness that God is looking for in us? Did you know that Rosh Hashanah is also considered the day of judgment by Israel? where God comes and judges us. Amen? Now, at the same time, there is a thought here that there is, a, there is an annual due that we must give to God. Are we talking about money? Yep, we are talking about money. God has blessed us. God has prospered every one of us. And what you have, please don't ever think it is there because of your own effort. It is God, because God has blessed you with health, opportunity, you know, and vitality to be able to produce what you have produced. Amen? And therefore, we tithe. Of course, we don't tithe on an annual basis. We tithe as and when income comes in. But it is something of the tenth that we give to God because God has blessed us. But it goes beyond material, right? As you, as you think about this new year, it's time for us to think about what is it that is due to God that we need to pay? You know? Maybe it's just sitting down, planning your holidays for 2023 and thinking about, oh, Japan is open up. I want to go to Japan. I want to go Korea. And I say these countries because these countries appear the most in my feet over the last uh, <laughs> November and December. Everybody is flying everywhere, okay? And um, maybe you should think about, hey, 2023, what mission trip should I do? Maybe it's time to think, hey, maybe I need to get my family to do some community work together. You see, the due is to give to God in serving Him, in worship, in devotion. 
you know, for which you're not going to gain something out. He's going to gain something. He's, he's going to be glorified by that, right? And as we start a new year, it is about considering what you owe to God. And I say this to every one of us, we all owe God something. Amen. We must pay up. The tithe is not something you give. You read your scriptures. The Bible never says to, bring, to give your tithe. The Bible always says you bring and you pay your tithe because the tithe doesn't belong to you. It belongs to God. And God is not just looking for a tithe of your material. God is looking for a tithe of your time. God is looking for a tithe, a tithe of your service. Amen. And your effort and your strength. God is looking for these things. And I tell you, Cornerstone, this year, as things begin to open up, we must seriously consider about our service to the Lord. Amen. Some of you, you need to think about cell group. It's time for you to stop sitting just in cell and just attending cell. You need to start becoming cell leaders. Amen. Hello? Amen. If you have not attended potential cell leaders training, go to your cell leader and say, hey, this year I'm ready to attend. So that at any time the cell grows and the harvest comes in, I'm going to be a cell leader. I'm going to shepherd God's people. Come on. Amen. Okay. Amen. Only uh, Pastor Lynette is uh, cheering me on. She promised me a, a good meal after this. You know. That's why I'm saying this. I was just kidding. Okay. But I really want to encourage you all. I really want to encourage you. You cannot be sitting in church day after day, year after year like this. God says you have, you have to pay your dues. Hello? Amen. Now, the third thing I want to examine about the new year is uh, Rosh Hashanah. Okay. And this is the primary, Jew primary Jewish New Year, but it doesn't actually uh, get mentioned in the, the scriptures per se. Okay, but when you consider it, it's really very interesting because in Bible, Rosh Hashanah coincides exactly with the Feast of Trumpets. And at the same time, Rosh Hashanah is called the Zikron Teruah, which means the day of remembrance of the cry of the shofar. Now, where did this all come from? Let's look at Leviticus 23, verse 23 to 24. Verses 23 to 24. Okay, let's read this. Then the Lord said to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of, children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month on the first day. Seventh month, first day is the, is the first of Tishrael, which is Rosh Hashanah. And so it's actually coinciding with um, the Feast of Trumpets. Ten days later is Yom Kippur. Okay? And it says, you shall have a Sabbath rest. And then it says, it's a memorial of blowing of trumpets, which is Zikron Teruah. Okay? A holy convocation. Now, the question is this. What is, what is this memorial of blowing of trumpets? You know? It, it, it indicates that something must have happened in the past and you're supposed to bring it back into remembrance. Right? Now, the common uh, belief is that this memorial of blowing of trumpets refers to what happened on Mount Sinai when God came down and he made a covenant with the people of Israel. So I'm going to read you a couple of verses from Exodus chapter 19, verse 16 to verse 19, okay? And it says, Then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there was thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain. And the sound of trumpet was very loud. That's the sound of trumpets. That's the sound of the shofar. So that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And then the blast of the shofar sounded long and became louder and louder. And Moses spoke and God 
answered him by voice. You see, at that point of time, you got to realize this, okay? That there was no, the people of Israel, they were not the ones blowing the trumpet. They were not the ones sounding the shofar. But instead, everything they were witnessing was coming from God. They came to this mountain, they saw the lightning, they saw the thundering, they saw God coming. There was a smoke and a furnace and fire. It was a scary sight. And that's what they saw visually, but auditorily, they heard the sound of shofars. They, saw, they heard the sound of trumpets blowing and became longer and longer and louder and louder. And this is what Zikron Teruah was. It's the memorial remembering the blowing of the shofar. And you see, the sound of the trumpets eventually coalesced into, the, into words and God spoke from out of the sound of the trumpets. In other words, Israel heard the voice of God speaking to, word, to, to them. The call to memory of the sound of the shofars is in fact a call to memory of the sound of God's voice. You see, there's something you need to realize about our Christian faith. Our Christian faith is deeply rooted in the hearing. Now, I'm not saying that the this, this singing is not important because, you know, the, uh, Jesus said, look and see that the fields are wide unto harvest. And there's vision that God wants to give to us. But let me, uh, let me underscore the importance of us hearing because think about this. In creation, God spoke and everything came into being. Jesus is called the Word of God that we are to listen to multiple times in the Old Testament. We are commanded to, to uh, uh, in this way, it says, Hear, O Israel. And the word here is the word Shema. Now, Shema is an incredible word because Shema doesn't mean just to listen to a content of something that is said. It is to allow it to sink in, to understand, and then to obey it. Amen? You know, and, and in, the, in, in the daily prayer, three times a day, Israel will pray Shema. Everybody said Shema. It's not Shema, okay? It's Shema, okay? <laughs> don't, don't confuse that, okay? Shema, okay? Shema. <laughs> Think about this, Romans chapter 10 verse 17 tells us this, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Amen. And again in John chapter 20 verse 29, Jesus commended those who would hear the gospel without seeing and yet believe when He said to Thomas, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Amen. We are not witnesses of the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but we believe as we've heard the gospel preached to us and Jesus says, blessed are you because that's how faith comes about. Amen. And the whole idea of Rosh Hashanah is to come back to a remembrance of the things that God has spoken to us, to the times where we have encountered God and God has met with us. It is a memorial of the sounding of the shofar, the voice of God that is there in our lives. Amen. I want to say to us, so many of us, we don't need a new word for 2023. What you need to do is go back and visit the words that God has already spoken to you. Let the shofar sound again in your spirit. I'm telling you, some of us, we're walking in this place where the sound of the shofar has become silenced because we have forgotten what God has spoken to us and what God has done in our lives. Let me tell you, there's a tendency for Christians to look back at their lives and then to, to diminish their encounters with God in the past. And that's why there's Rosh Hashanah. That's why there's a sounding of a trumpet, a memorial of the trumpet, a zikron teruah. Don't forget that those encounters are real. Don't forget the voice of God that resounded in your spirit and spoke to you. As we enter this new year, this is what God wants us to know. He wants us to be reminded. You see, Rosh Hashanah was 
celebrated in three components. Number one, they celebrated the kingship of God, that God is king over our lives. Number two, they celebrated the remembrance of God's people, that God thinks about us and He remembers us. Just as in, a, in Egypt, God heard the voice and He remembers His people and therefore He sends His deliverer. Whatever you're going through, I want to tell you this, God remembers you. And finally, it's a remembrance of the sound of the shofar. Let's stand to our feet. I want to bring this to a close. We are going to celebrate communion today. And I think it's wonderful for us to come to the Lord's table at the start of the year in consideration of this new year. Amen. If God gives you a word for this new year, that's good and that's wonderful. But if He doesn't, I want to tell you that that, is, that does not diminish your year in any way because there is a system of entering a new year. And the way in which God calls us to enter a new year first is to understand that there are a lot of things. It's not about new year. It's about what, is, what you need to do every day, every week. It's about a new beginnings. I'm telling you, as you're, if you have children who entered into primary school this year, I want to tell you that it is about a dedication of a new phase in their lives where you by you say to them, it is more important for them to pursue academic excellence. Sorry, it's more important for them to pursue God than just academic excellence. Set that over your children. I'm not saying for them to be lazy and to miss school and not to study. No, that's not what I'm saying. But I'm telling you, academic excellence is not the number one thing in life. God is the number one thing in life. If you have kids, sons who have enlisted in the army, it's a new day for them, a new chapter. I want to encourage you to pray for them that they'll have the fullness of this new season in their lives where they'll learn responsibility, they'll learn what it means to defend others and to lay their lives down for others. Amen. 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 Sometimes people tell me, tell me Pastor Liv, are you just special? Are you different? You, know, you want your son to die for Singapore. You know? No, I don't want my son to die for Singapore. I want my son to die for Jesus. Amen. But hey, if there is a war, I'll be proud if my son lays his life down to defend this land. Okay, that doesn't sound. <laughs> there is a quality of Christians that ought to be different. Amen. 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 If you're starting a new job in the start of this new year, I want to tell you to dedicate this new job and say, Lord, more than anything else, before I'm an employee of this company, I am your ambassador. I come into this company as your ambassador. And to reframe the way we think about stuff, amen. There are some things God doesn't want you to enter into the new year. He just wants you to live day to day, week by week. You know, don't enter into a new year with your spouse. You've already been married for 10 years, okay? Yeah. Work at building upon those 10 years of marriage, or 15 years of marriage, amen. But there is one thing in which we must do when we enter this new year. We must remember the sound of the shofar, the call of God in our lives, the trumpet sound of His voice within us. Amen. You've just listened to a production of Cornerstone Community Church. Please note that all unauthorized reproduction, distribution, or sale of the recording is prohibited. For permission to reproduce or distribute the sermon, please write into mail at cscc.org.sg. We hope that you have been blessed.